This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. Too busy not to pray. Too busy not to pray. Uh, Bill Hybels came out with a book titled that, and the content of the sermon has nothing to do with the book, but I like the title, so thank you, Uncle Bill. Uh, Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 28, and we'll go backwards a little bit to set the context of where we are today. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Let me just pause for a second. I need to put this closer to the ring real quick. Verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. And so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And here's our main text for the day, starting in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Let's look at verse 35 once again. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would cause this text to come alive. We thank you, Jesus, that you came as an example. You came as a pattern, a one who set patterns for us. And so we look to you above any other source as our example. We look to you above any other source as our leader. And we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is no feeling like the feeling you get when you wake up on the morning when you accomplish something great the night before. There is just no feeling like that. A job well done. Mission accomplished. You have done something that was huge on your heart, and the next morning you just have a feeling of accomplishment. Morale is up. You raise your head just a little bit higher. It doesn't bother you when you run into people around town because job well done. Something happened positively, whether it's you got the raise, or you turned in the paper, or you reached the quota you needed to reach. There's just that feeling of accomplishment and success that feels great the next day. And and the question I have for you, what do you do on mornings like that? On those mornings when you've accomplished a goal, you've done something great, and you get up that morning, what do you do and how do you respond? For some of you, there's two words that come to mind. Those words are sleep in. Do I have any witnesses? How many would like to sleep in after you've worked hard a day? Thank you. We have one honest person back here. I see that hand. Thank you so much. Sleeping in is great because you've got something done and you've accomplished something great. For those of us who are morning people, sometimes on those mornings, which we're just feeling good and we're feeling successful, it could manifest itself in something like a, 
a double shot latte with extra syrup and double the cream. Huh? Has anyone done that? Do we have any witnesses for that right there? Anyone like that? You know, there's nothing that says job well done like extra caffeine and sugar. That just does the trick. You know, I showed you the video for I Want to Lead, and I wanted to share what your giving produced. But that event, as you can hear from the testimonies of the students, was completely successful and the product exceeded our expectations. And the day it ended, the small group of, of people I worked with, Sean Lewis is sitting right there in the fourth row, and Deborah Jackson, Paul is not near. We, the day it ended, we just kind of called each other and just kind of relived it. And, and it was like, man, it went great. What did you think? What did you hear? What did they say? And, and Beth, who was with me all day, kept hearing the same conversation from one side. And I finally just said, Beth, I'm sorry. I'm on my victory lap. You know what a victory lap is? It's when you've run the marathon or race and you've won and you just keep going around for one more lap, waving at the crowd and all of that. There's that dynamic that when we've done something, things are going well, we just kind of breathe easy. And the sky is more blue and life is better. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing I just described is wrong and often it could be appropriate. But Jesus, he lived differently than us. And he set a pattern that I want you to be aware of today. And he set a pattern that I want you to know about because as his fame grew, and as he became more successful, we, we, we talked about last week how he, he stayed grounded with the people who got him there. He hung around the common fishermen, Peter, James, and John. But in addition to that, he set a pattern, you see in verse 35, after many, many days of ministry and after great success, and after, as you see in verse 28, news about him spread quickly. And, and going on down, verse 32, that evening, people brought Jesus who were sick. And look at 33. The whole town gathered. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. Everything that he had been waiting for for 30 years was now coming to pass. And then I love this success rate in verse 34. He healed many and had various diseases. He drove out many deep demons. Here he was at the height of what he, uh, of his success. And so how did he respond? Look at what verse 35 says. Very early in the morning. And so that there's no doubt and so there's, there's no um, subjective description of what early in the morning means. Mark went ahead and wrote, while it was still dark. That means 4.30, 5. 5.30. I don't think God is awake at 4.30 uh, sometimes. Uh, yeah, He is. Okay. But early in the morning, Jesus woke up and Jesus separated Himself. And Jesus had a planned, private, and prolonged prayer. Life. He got up early enough and He got far away enough because He knew His source of power came through connecting to the Father. And he set a pattern for us. Now, can I be honest with you? I just want to be transparent with you. You guys are all my friends. Whenever I hear there's going to be a sermon about prayer, I don't get excited. I know there's some of you who do. But for me personally, I just don't get jazzed up about hearing about prayer. And I thought about this because I'm giving a sermon on prayer, so I'm trying to empathize with you here. Why is that? Why is it that we don't like to hear, hear about prayer, at least me? I think sometimes is we, ha we have unreasonable expectations on prayer. 
And I've heard a lot of statements like this. You better pray at least an hour a day. I've heard someone else say before, if you're not praying every day, how can you call yourself a Christian? And then we get into the whole moral fabric of our nation, and that's when you can use prayer as a real, a real club to beat people over the head. If we prayed more, this would happen. If we prayed more, that would happen. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with the statement, but I'm talking about the spirit that comes behind it. Sometimes prayer seems like there's so much pressure and there's unrealistic expectations. And then beyond that, beyond the unrealistic expectations, we tend to emphasize function over purpose. Function over purpose. In other words, we forget what the purpose of prayer is, which is communion with the Father. And we get focused on function. What kind of prayer are you praying? What formula of prayer are you using? What, what, what type of prayer is this? And prayer becomes its own science with this whole vocabulary that's unfamiliar to us. And those things are helpful tools. And I don't, I don't criticize those to say they're wrong or bad. I've used all of those tools to help me in my prayer life. But when prayer becomes more of a function and it becomes more of a duty than it does a relationship, then it feels more like a job than it does a privilege. It feels more like an obligation than it feels like an opportunity. And so I want to put you at ease because I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer today. But I want you to know that I am coming to you from the angle that you have a great opportunity from God. You have a great opportunity from God for reasons that I don't fully know, and I wouldn't bore you with these details anyway. My personality, I don't have a propensity to pray as often as I should or I would like. Now that's changing, and God is, is I do have a consistent prayer life, and I, I say that humbly and by His grace. But in case you're like me, I don't, for whatever reason, maybe call this excuse, that's why I'm preaching on no excuse the next three weeks, but my personality then, I'm more drawn to the Word, I'm, drawn, I'm more drawn to uh, an intellectual connection with God. And a prayer connection is more difficult to me. But can I tell you that I see the benefits and I see the rewards of prayer in my life. And as I begin to change how I've looked about prayer, has changed the spiritual dynamic of my life. Now, why is this important today? Why is this important right now? We're entering a new season. I referenced it in our early prayer. It's a season of multitasking and scheduling and busyness because August becomes September. Then we're into holidays. <clears throat> and before you know it, before you know it, we have gone to the next six months and it's just been a blur. And often we wait till January and say, I'm going to focus on my spiritual disciplines in January. Well, I'm calling us, let's look at it today. Because we're entering in a busy season. Hence why the title is so important. Too busy not to pray. We're too busy not to pray. We have so much going on in our lives. I want to call us to communion with God, and let's just talk about what prayer is, because at its very basic essence, prayer is a conversation. You understand that? It's not a formula, and it's not complicated. Prayer is a conversation. We talk to God, and we hear from God. That's what prayer is. 
We talk to Him and we hear from Him. And Jesus did this very thing. He was in a dialogue with God. And can I tell you that the prayer God is calling you into and is leading you into is, is a prayer life, is a conversation with Him that is full of joy, full of peace, and full of freedom. God wants you to approach Him without rules or without obligation. He wants you to approach Him as a friend. He has already called you friend. And so, we approach Him. Well, here's the first point. If you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin, I'm going to give you three very simplistic points that we see from the passage today. So the first one is this, is that Jesus found His reason to pray. Jesus found His reason to pray. And I think that for all of us, if we understood the motivation, the purpose of prayer, it would drive us into that meaningful conversation with God. Often we try to pray to reach an obligation that someone else has imposed on us or we have imposed on ourselves. And when we feel like we're in a failure, we, we, we treat prayer like it's a jogging routine. Three times a week, 20 minutes a day, I'll be healthy. And while there might be some truth to that, you know, a friendship is constant. A friendship is very, very dynamic. When you're in a friendship, you never know what each day could bring. And when I look at our prayer life, I see God wanting to engage in that conversation with us that is dynamic and fresh and relational. Jesus found a reason to pray that we often don't think of. Because all of us, when we hit adversity, all of us, when we hit a trial, all of us, when we come into a difficult situation in which we do not know the answer, we are all driven to our knees. Even our nation and our country filled up worship houses after September 11th when we were gripped with fear. We didn't know if terrorism was going to be part of our lifestyle. And we cried out to God because we needed His hand. And that was appropriate and right. And I'm so glad we did. But it's in the time of peace. It's in the time of safety. It's in the time of prosperity. It's in the time of success that wisdom will drive you to prayer. And that's why Jesus set a pattern. Here he was at the height of recognition, at the height of success. He had worked hard. He deserved to sleep in, and it certainly wouldn't have been wrong. He deserved his double-shot latte. But instead, he got up early, got by himself, and he prayed. He talked to God. Can I just encourage all of us, instead of letting adversity drive us, Instead of letting fear drive us to prayer. Instead of letting difficult circumstances drive us to communication and conversation with God. Can wisdom drive us there? And wisdom says, I need God now. I need God worse when I'm encountering success and favor than I do when I have adversity. Because when you have success and favor, you can easily forget the one who put you there in the first place. Jesus knew his place, his reason. I'm going to get that. Stay on reason. He knew his reason. And even though he had success and recognition, it drove him to prayer. Unfortunately for us, it's adversity, it's desperation, it's hopelessness that drives us to prayer. 
but wisdom is driving us. Can I just say this to you as your pastor? I want you to change your angle here. I want you to find your reason to pray. And I just want to say that none of you are required to pray. None of you have to pray. None of you are expected to pray. Throw all that down. You get to pray. You have access to the God of all glory. You have access to the one who created all of heaven and earth. You have friendship with the one who has all power and might in his hand. And it's not an obligation. And it's not something to cross off your to-do list. It is a holy opportunity that the blood of Jesus has given us access to God. Change your reason. Understand why God wants you to pray. We have an incredible opportunity. Verse 35, our key text, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off, and look at this phrase in verse 35, to a solitary place where he prayed. Here's number two. Jesus found his place to pray. Jesus found his place to pray. Found his reason, and he found his place. Now, spiritual directors will wisely encourage us all to find a particular place. And I think in our minds that we can all imagine, and some of you might have this, and I say, congratulations, we might imagine this perfect porch with a view of a lake and a mountain in the background. And the perfect rocking chair. And it's just isolated secret place that we can meet with God. Would that not be great to have that? That would, and, and there is validity in that as, as spiritual directors will encourage us to find unique places. But for me, I've never found that geographical place. At this era of my life, it's not happening. Now, I love my family more than I could possibly say, but our home is well lived in. We use all the space, all the floor space, all the sitting space. It is a well-lived-in house. And so, let's say I'm going to find a particular place, and I've tried it before, and I've said, this is my special chair. And I have a home office slash playroom uh, that one corner is my desk, and I kind of climb over all Star Wars figures and dolls and everything. And there's a chair in there that I thought, this is going to be my, my prayer chair. That particular chair always found baskets of laundry, Barbie dolls, Transformers. By the time I get my place to prayer, I'm playing with a Transformer, trying to figure out how, how it works. When Jesus found a solitary place, and let me encourage you that your place of prayer might not be a specific location, though that does have to have you, but it's a particular state of mind. It's a state of mind. And Jesus had to make effort to get by Himself and to get into a solitary place so that He could find His place with God as we enter into a season of activity, as we enter into a season of opportunity, as we enter into a season when we're going to be so busy, most of us, in, in this particular rhythm. We're back in town. We're back on focus. Would you find your place with God? Find a place where you can have a state of mind to have a conversation with God. I love what David's saying in Psalm 27, verse 4. 
Psalm 27, 4, he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. When David sang that song, or Asaph ever sang that, they were talking about one particular location, the temple that was in Jerusalem. The Scripture clearly tells us that we are now that temple. We are not now that temple. That means anywhere we're at, we can find a place with God if we get in the right state of mind. Where is your place? Where is your place with God? Is it your Toyota or your Ford? Could be that commute you make to work. That's your place with God. Could it be your lawnmower? That as you mow the yard, you find your place to talk with God. Could it be the carpool line? where there's a rhythm of every day you have a few minutes as you get in line and wait for the kids? Could it be your cubicle, just that ten minutes you get to work before you have to punch in? Is it that window of time between when the kids go to bed and that just valuable, precious hour or two before you go to bed? Is that your place with God, your state of mind? Is it the walking trail at the park when you're getting your exercise? Here's the question, where is your place? Where will you go meet God? Because Jesus set a pattern and He made an effort and He went to a solitary place. And though for most of us in this room, I would guess, we don't have that idealistic chair. We don't have that getaway place in our home for most of us. But we all have pauses through our day. We all have places in our day that we can have a conversation with God. And that conversation can drive us make this great. Jesus had his place. Where is your place? Here's the last thing I want to observe today is Jesus found his time to pray. Jesus found his time to pray. Write it down in your bulletin if you take a note. Verse 35 again, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house. Now, I want to discuss this scripture one from one slant here. Those of us who are morning people, Love this scripture. I mean, this is a God-ordained scripture. Those of us who don't like the morning, we just think this should have been struck out of the cannon. Why should that even be in there? Can I tell you that I don't think what's important is the hour you get up, but the intensity that you give God. It's not the time of day that's important. It's the priority of the day that you're giving God your best. When is the time that your mind is the sharpest? When is the time that you are uh, least distracted? When is the time when you're fully aware? Why doesn't God deserve that time? The time when your rhythm of your day and schedule are fully engaged. That's what's important. I suppose for all of us, if we could give up and give God the first part of our day, I, I know we would all get value in that. But it's not some legalistic rule. It's an opportunity. And the opportunity he has for you, he's saying, what's your best? When can you connect with me in the most clear way? Because Jesus is waiting for you. Susanna Wesley, she had 10 children. She had 19 children. 10 of them survived. She spent two hours a day with God. Two hours a day with God. She structured her family home so that during the afternoon between lunch and dinner, 
she would have that time with the Lord. She had a couple of sons you might have heard of, Charles and John Wesley, who literally changed the course of Christianity. And they would say of her that when she couldn't find a room to retreat to, she would flip her apron over her head so she could be alone with God during that time. There's a certain determination. There's a certain passion. That's why I love, again, Psalms 42, 1 and 2. When I read this scripture sometimes, it just it just summarizes the kind of heart I want to have for God. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, the living God. Now, look at this last question, and I want this to be my heart. When can I go and meet with God? When can I go and meet with God? Not, oh man, I haven't done my devotion. Wow, I... I'm behind, or God's going to judge me because my prayer life's not where it needs to be. No, it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. And I read that scripture, and I read that question, and and it just pricks my heart every time I read it. When can I go and meet with God? Can we ask that question? From a heart of a lover who loves our God, says, when can I go? And if it's in some of those things I described, so be it. Because here's the great thing. God is waiting on you. God is waiting on you. God is wanting your attention. God is wanting your focus. God is wanting to hear your concerns. And He's wanting to hear your requests. And He's wanting to hear about you. At the same time, He's going to speak to you. I don't know how He's going to speak to you. Usually when He speaks to me, it's through my thoughts. It's through ideas. It could be through songs. There's dozens and dozens of ways God will speak to you particularly that He has heard me there. He has heard me there. This morning, I want us to meet with God. Because we have a reason to meet with God. We have a place here to meet with God. And we have this time to meet with God. And I'm so privileged that here in a few minutes, I'm going to be able to take the Lord's Supper with you. Our ushers are going to pass out a bread and a cup, and all of you are welcome to participate in this part of the service. You're under no obligation to do so. If you prefer not to, you can let it pass, but I hope all of you would consider doing that. Before we take the bread and the cup, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We're going to make sure every person in this room has an opportunity to confess their sins to the Lord. So if you're not feeling right with the Lord, but you want to take communion, go ahead and take that communion, and we'll have that time. But let's meet with the Lord. I want you during this time to do a couple of things for me. I want you to, first of all, evaluate your life. See if there's any sin you need to confess to the Lord. And then I want you to evaluate how you can meet with the Lord. How you can find your reason and find your place and find the time. Just like you just did. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.